You're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, your source for all the Baltimore Ravens news and information. Now ice up, hon. Have I ever told you how much I like our intro song? I think I did last week or the I week before. I think you did as well, but you know what? It's worth saying a second time. That intro song is amazing. Yep. It, it brings us in nice. I always like get a little hippity-hoppity with it, you know, get excited. The beat's in. We get to talk about football. Welcome into the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, folks. My name is Kyle Barber, and with me, as always, Matthew Stevens. Yo! Yeah, there we go. All right. Now, first off, we are going to talk about our sponsor of the day, which is Rally Bus. Rally Bus does offer those luxury buses to and from sports games, ranging from hockey to NFL, MLB, anything you want to go to, you name it. It's probably possible to ride with Rally Bus. You get a tailgate before, during, and after the game. They take you home safely. No drinking and driving, folks. We all have seen enough commercials of uh be sober, get cold, get pulled over. So, you know, be smart, be safe, and ride rally bus, folks. Thank you so very much. Now, on to our second option, excuse me, option, uh, little tidbit of the day. We do have a Patreon account, folks. On that Patreon account, we are asking for as little as a dollar a month, which uh, could be donated to better help the Baltimore Beatdown podcast cause, uh, getting better equipment, um, having us be able to do better live shows, uh, HD video at some point, and also me not using my laptop microphone anymore. That'd be wonderful. Uh, <laughs> other than that, we just want to do the best we can possibly do with you guys. Get a call-in number going, be able to answer live calls. Help us out. Donate as little as a dollar a month, folks. That'd be awesome. Also, please type down in the comment section your questions this evening as me and Matthew love answering and talking with you folks Please, let's get that going. Now, on to the very first topic, obviously, is going to be talking about Rashad Perryman, how the Raiders and the Ravens have dealt with the loss uh, against Oakland, the upcoming divisional game against the Bengals, and how Suggs' injury is possibly career-threatening. Not exciting news on any front there, folks, but... First and foremost, our very first comment. Actually, one of my favorites, uh, one of my guys I actually know down here in Colorado, Terrell. It's great to see you immediately come in and comment. Owen, too. Thank you so very much. We definitely wanted to hear that to start off our podcast. Kyle, you make the worst friends. I know. Clearly, every single one of them's uh, letting me know. I'm getting it at work. I'm getting it from my banker <laughs> at this point. I'm getting it from friends, family. I called my grandfather up the other day, and he said, "Hey, how's it going, Owen?" Too. My grandfather in Miami <laughs> greeted me that way. So it's wonderful. But we're gonna hop right into Ravens versus Raiders, and out the Ravens lost at Oakland, 33 to 37, making the Ravens. 0-2 on the year, which obviously is not good because the stats say a team has about a 17% chance of actually making the playoffs after starting 0-2. Now, Matt, I'm going to ask you first, man, uh, what did they do right? What did they do wrong? 
You know, Kyle, I think the Ravens obviously had their offense in in high gear. Putting up 33 points against any team is difficult. But, uh, yeah, you know, being able to go out there and pass the ball with Kamar Aiken having right around 90 yards and Steve Smith Sr. going for a buck 50 on the game, uh, that is nice. That's real, real nice. So the Ravens certainly had the passing game going exactly where they wanted it to go. Crockett Gilmore caught two touchdowns as well, uh, making him a, a beast for the first half. Uh, so the Ravens got themselves figured out offensively, at least against the Raiders. Uh, the run game didn't do great, but it didn't do horrible either. I think they had a, you know, right around a 4.3 yard per carry, uh, which is, is not bad. Uh, but what was ultimately the issue and the reason why we, uh, we are talking about a loss right now is because the defense just could not hold on at all. Uh, whether it was schematically, whether it was just players being confused, whether it was just a bad game all the way around, um, we're not too sure yet. Obviously, it'll only be in the second game, but they, they just they had no idea what was going on and allowed Amari Cooper and Derek Carr to light them up. So hopefully they'll go ahead and figure that out this coming week against the Bengals, though. Absolutely. Uh, what we did right is one of my beliefs in football is trying to score anywhere from at least seven to ten points per quarter. That's what you want. You want a fully successful drive, and you want to also have one that takes you and gets you at least three points. Because if you score anywhere from 28 to 40 points, it's very hard to lose games. It, it, that's really it. If you can have two drives per quarter that are successful or semi-successful, you have well above an 80% chance, it feels like, to actually win that football game. You know, Not a lot of teams can do that consistently, and the Ravens definitely aren't one of those. If I would have asked you, hey, um, if the Ravens win, if the Ravens score 33 points, what are the odds that the Ravens win this game? You would have told me a, a hell of a lot higher than... 50% to uh, what it currently is at none, you know. Uh, and, and that's very frustrating to know is because the Ravens and also the Steelers, I'd like to bring them into mention real quick, are currently living in bizarro NFL where it's a, it's an offensive-led team. The Pittsburgh Steelers have offensive weapons, and they're trying to hold on with their defense allowing 30 to 40 points. That doesn't make sense. The Ravens are dealing with high-scoring game against the Oakland Raiders. This is not a normal occurrence. You know, This is definitely a changing of the guard almost in the NFL, seeing that things are starting to completely change from you know, at least from this aspect, two games in, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that's how I'm just feeling. But yeah, the Ravens did right by the passing game and the offense as a whole seemed to have done well. And what did they do wrong? Uh, pretty much everything defensively disregarding CJ Mosley's tackling and uh, talents uh, from the run to the passing game and Will Hill's complete stellar performance from the interceptions to the pass deflections uh, run-stopping tackles, which he is very, very talented at. And those are the only two bright spots that we saw. We saw Jimmy Smith get burned. We saw the interior line do nothing. The linebackers and the pass rush was non-existent. Um, the cornerback situation is almost as frustrating as last year's, and we still have Jimmy Smith healthy. Um, 
uh, you know, it was it was a complete failure on the defensive side of the ball, and you cannot blame anybody else but the coaching staff for that. You can't blame the players. You got to blame the coaching staff for not being well prepared in this game, in my opinion. I completely agree with you on that one, Kyle. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator, in a minute. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are riding him pretty hard for the lack of pressure that the Ravens were able to go ahead and get. And some people are also saying it's probably a combination of Terrell Suggs and maybe some of the other guys just not being able to uh, to live up to the hype. But uh, wh- whenever you give up 37 points – it's 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 on the defensive coordinator regardless of what the issue is the players could have all been sliding down on on their butts the entire game but you you let up 37 points that starts going up that chain of the uh, of the command to where coaches end up getting fired for that type of thing so uh regardless of being Dean P's fault it's it's going to be his fault uh, and same thing Absolutely. when it goes to the Ravens not finishing drives on the offensive side of the ball Mark Tressman's going to be eating a little bit of that uh, if he can't go ahead and, uh, you know, figure that out and start finishing drives with the Ravens. Another issue people are uh, kind of questioning, are the Raiders better than we all think, or are the Ravens having a, a, a much bigger problem than anticipated, Matt? I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, a lot of people expect the Raiders to be the same Raiders that they have been for the last, you know, 10 years, in which just they're a laughing stock of the NFL. Um, you know, uh, akin to the Browns or the Jaguars. And I'm just not seeing it. I mean, they've got a pretty decent defense. They've got a pretty decent offensive line. They clearly have a a good running back, a good quarterback, and a good first-round number one wide receiver. I I think they have what a lot of teams don't have, as a matter of fact. I mean, they're not spectacular in any one area, but when you've got a, a... serious talent like Amari Cooper and a quarterback that seems to have all the the physical prowess that you need uh, out of a quarterback in Derek Carr, I'm not entirely sure why we aren't thinking that they're better than that. Uh, But I also think that the Ravens have a little bit of an issue, and and some of that is just finding out who they are, uh, figuring out their identity this season. Because the running game isn't working like it used to. The defense isn't as strong as it used to be. And, and like you mentioned, Kyle, this is kind of a weird change for the Ravens in which they're lighting it up through the passing game all of a sudden. But that's that's not the Ravens anyone really recognizes. So uh, I think it's it's a little bit of both. They've got to find themselves, and, and hopefully they do that against the Bengals this week. Uh, but also, let's let's not slouch on the Raiders by any means. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm not slashing on the Raiders. They have a great connection with Derek Carr being a very talented quarterback. He looks well. He passes the eye test, clearly. And last year he had a terrible yards per attempt, and people were out to get him because of that. And that's not going to be the be-all standard of quarterbacks. You would never judge a quarterback on one stat. That's not how you work. And they were like, oh, he had a, he had a bad yards per attempt, so obviously he's not going to be good. Who was he throwing to last year? Because his two starting wide receivers this year are the same as last year's. Another issue uh, is I've watched Amari Cooper in college. I called him out of the draft as the number one wide receiver. I couldn't believe Kevin White was even in comparison or talks with him. And, uh, and I have him passing the eye test with flying colors. His route running is, is on par with high, high standards in the NFL. And... The ACDC combination of Amari Cooper and Derek Carr is going to be something that 
AFC West teams are not going to be looking forward to if they are not the Oakland or LA Raiders, as a lot of issues have come up on that front. But I have the Raiders being much better than what the Ravens' problems have. I see it. the Raiders have a good team. They're underrated, and everybody expects them to just, like you said, be the same old Raiders. And a team with a couple of good drafts, great coaching staff, can make a bad team good and a good team great. That's the difference. And they seem to be headed in the right direction. And slowly but surely, they're going to make more successful changes. And as their division starts to change with a certain quarterback no longer being playing, you know, finally hanging up the cleats, we might see some big, big changes for the Raiders, even more so than currently what's going on is them winning a game that was expected to be a blowout and uh, against a highly anticipated uh, Super Bowl contender and also a playoff like shoe in is what some people were giving the Ravens. Do you have Dean Pease on the hot set, hot seat? Like, do you see him, you know, all of a sudden Ozzy and uh, Steve Bashotti are both kind of, hey, do you think we should keep this guy around? Should we start looking at other options? I, I think that they are, they're listening to that. They're, they're, because Dean Pease has had some pretty bad games in the past, and the Ravens are kind of known for dropping one game a season where you go, what the hell, Ravens? Um, so, you know, it, it's it's too early into the season to fully be on the hot seat. But if Dean Pease and that defense do not figure it out this week, I, I would not be surprised to see him starting to sweat a little bit as things go on. Um you know, maybe by the end of the season, especially if the Ravens don't go ahead and make it to the playoffs uh, and the defense is the major issue, then, yeah, Dean Pease suddenly becomes very, very much on the hot seat. The Ravens at this point, they're, they're known for the defense. Uh, and if you're a defensive coordinator or, or a potential defensive coordinator, you want to go to Baltimore. Uh, the, what, the last, like, six have all turned into head coaches? So... I, I don't know why the hell you wouldn't want to be in Baltimore if you're uh, a potential star defensive coordinator. So Dean Pease has got to get it figured out real quick uh, and, and start dialing up the pressure that a lot of fans are, are a little annoyed that he didn't show in Oakland. Um, yeah, so that's that's about it. I definitely understand that. Now, one of the things that a lot of people mention is Dean Pease's scheme, which I am in favor of. I like I like the his concept on defense. Bend but don't break. The Ravens have always played that way, it seems to be, except when their defense was even more powerful than some offenses were back in 2000 and 2006, namely the most key notes for Ravens defense. But his, his mindset and mantra has always been bend but don't break. Allow the field goals but don't allow the touchdowns. Allow the okay drives. Don't allow the big plays. You know, it's always been that kind of a repetition. And I think a lot of his uh, his uh, weaknesses have been masked with such a powerhouse front seven through his career. He's had Ray Lewis. He's had Terrell Suggs, Haloti Nada. And those could make up the differences, you know, of a weaker strategy. You know, it's not about the turnovers in his mind. It doesn't seem to be. It's about allowing the most minimal amount of points. And I know that sounds stupid. Like, obviously, you're not going to want to allow points, but he wants to always minimize the damage. He's not thinking about stopping the damage completely or 
scoring points on the defensive side, like forcing more turnovers, like as you see the New England Patriots had one consistently through, I believe it was over 36 games straight, they had at least one turnover. The Ravens aren't always about turnovers. They're about the mantra of bend but don't break. And with Terrell Suggs now out, with Haloti Nada gone, with, uh, the, with Ed Reed, Ray Lewis gone, you know, I can name multi- you know, faceted players on all aspects of the defense the Baltimore Ravens have had. Now we're starting to see something change in a form of maybe it's Dean Pease's defense and uh, all these stellar superstar players can't protect his his uh, his right you know his abilities anymore. His schemes are weak when this happens. I completely agree with you on that one, Kyle. And uh, you know, especially when it comes to the secondary, you've got Jimmy Smith who. Before his injury last season, was shaping up to be a top five cornerback, and the Ravens paid him like a top five cornerback this season. So, you know, you have one lockdown corner. I understand that Lardarius Webb has not, you know, lived up to expectations, but <laughs> you know, th- this is a defense that used to pride itself on finding those diamonds in the rough, especially secondary players, uh, and, and being able to coach them up to do well enough along with plenty of pressure, and you're just not seeing it at all this season. Uh, obviously, they got after Peyton Manning, but we all talked about that beforehand, and his offensive line sucks, so you know I'm not too shocked about that. Uh, the Raiders just they, they could have been peppered left and right, but it just seemed like Dean Pease was trying to, like you said, minimize the damage. Let's put more people in coverage and hope that Derek Carr can't pick us apart. Well, when you've got a strong arm and you've kind of shown the ability to do that already, that's exactly what the hell's going to happen. You need to get after him, and, and you can't go, you can't go soft. Uh, and sadly, I think that's the issue with Dean Pease. He goes soft real quick. It was frustrating to watch because you saw we were starting to run more cover four. I saw cover six, and I saw at some point. Um, I know I'm calling out Madden plays because that's what I know the names by, but I saw what's called Velcro 9, which essentially is sending two guys to rush and dropping nine guys in the pass coverage because he was so worried. I saw Courtney Upshaw, who has no business in coverage at all. He's never had the talents in coverage. He was a dominant pass rusher at Alabama. He's been a great run run stopper in, uh, in Baltimore. His talents setting the edge are phenomenal. He's a very one-dimensional player in that aspect, though. But he's running back. Big Courtney Upshaw, who's – I think his, his weight is above 260. The guy's huge. Yeah. Has no business being out there in the flat trying to catch up to Amari Cooper, M- Michael Crabtree, or anybody of that matter. He's not, he's not smart enough and fast enough to be able to play against talented offensive weapons. He has business setting the edge, not allowing the rush to the outside so they can gain extra yards. And he has business attempting to pass rush and finally become that multi-tool linebacker that we hoped when we drafted the kid. You know, it's frustrating. And seeing those plays happen, the three-man rush doesn't work, at least not with a quarterback that can wait and sit in the pocket. Derek Carr's a great passer. We all know this. We knew this last year when we all went, holy cow, maybe the Raiders finally found a quarterback that that, that can do something and deliver for them. And that's that's the game plan is to say, hey, we're going to find out if he really can. And by halftime, you don't go, you know what, he can. Let's change this up. It was very frustrating for Ravens fans and 
everybody alike except for Raiders fans, obviously. Uh, that, that was the problem. I, um, I think if we're going to make a comparison from Dean Pease to any other offensive coordinator maybe that we've seen, it would be Cam Cameron, which is okay. he just doesn't know how to use the talent that's sitting in front of him, mm-hmm. and he doesn't know how to coach up players by any means. Uh, and sadly for Dean Pease, I mean, that's – what his job is, especially right now with a young defense. Like you said, Courtney Upshaw, there's no reason why the hell he's backpedaling anywhere. <laughs> he shouldn't be backpedaling in, in training camp. Just you tell the man to go forward. That's it. Um, <laughs> you know, having that, having C.J. Mosley dropping back into coverage. Now, I love C.J. Mosley, but he's not a coverage linebacker, really. I mean, he can do a little bit, but... There's no reason why he's shadowing uh, uh, Michael Crabtree across the field. That's dumb. Yep. That's just he, he dumb. was doing better. Don't get me wrong. Like his uh, his coverage ability from last year, trying to guard Le'Veon Bell and getting burned for over 200 total yards from scrimmage, yeah. to what I saw from the first two games of snuffing out Denver's passing and also the Raiders. But yeah, I would prefer Daryl Smith staying in the backfield and having. Uh, like you said, C.J. Mosley not be doing the coverage near as much as we saw. Yeah. Continue, though, please. Yeah, you know, it's like I mentioned before, Kyle, it's Dean Pease just went soft on Derek Carr and didn't rush him. And, and like you had mentioned, at halftime, when you realize that that's not working, you need to make the adjustments. And the other coordinator that we all know that never made those adjustments at halftime is Cam Cameron. He's a guy that went, it's my game plan. It's going to work eventually. And just kind of hard-headedly kept going forward, regardless of it clearly not working. Uh, and then blaming players for the lack of execution, which in this case, in Dean Key's, uh, Dean P's case, that is a little bit of the accuracy as we saw several defenders, defenders just kind of shrugging their shoulders going, I don't know where the hell I'm supposed to be. But, mm-hmm. y- you know, y- you should be rushing the passer a lot more. Y- you have Elvis Dumerville. You have some young kids out there that can rush the passer. And Courtney Upshaw is one of those kids. Y- y- you need to go ahead and buckle up the chin strap and go at it and, and really kind of pound them all, all game long. Amen. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with a question you need to answer in three sentences. Should Jason Babin have played against the Raiders? No, I don't think he should have. Uh, okay. Sadly, I don't think he's he was ready at that game. Obviously, only being in town for, what, two, three days by that point. Right. Uh, he was not prepped to know the defensive scheme. If he's not in there this week, I've got to question his intelligence, or I've got to question the intelligence of the coaches for not putting him in there. He's not the best pass rusher, but he's sure as hell a lot better than what we've got right now. Exactly. Okay. Now... Um, I'm going to hit you with another quick answerable question. Do the Ravens have a different defensive coordinator in 2016? You know, Kyle, I think they do. Uh, I I think this is the season in which Harbaugh kind of goes, all right, you've yet to be able to really turn up when we needed you. Uh, Unless the Ravens completely change who they are overnight uh, and and all of a sudden the defense starts putting out top-level play all season long, that would be two back-to-back years in which the defense just kind of sucked. Uh, last season, you can kind of excuse it. You obviously had Jimmy Smith out. That's going to hurt any team, uh, having your top cornerback out. But two seasons in a row, it starts becoming less of an, uh, of an anomaly and starts becoming a lot more of a, 
it's a coordinator problem. So uh, I think with all the talent that's going to be available next season uh, and, and potential college coaches trying to come up to the to the big game, I, I think absolutely the Ravens have a different defensive coordinator in 2016. How about you, Kyle? Uh, I think that's a gutsy call. I'm I'm reserving judgment, and I'm gonna hit you with a rain check, and I'm gonna go week week eight. Week eight, ask me again because I feel these two games have been very tough to judge which weakness the Ravens actually have. The very first game, the game that both Gary Kubiak strategized for the Baltimore Ravens, and the and John Harbaugh strategizing for the. Denver Broncos was one of the best defensive slugfests that I've ever seen, let alone it was being week one. Both of these teams were expected AFC titled contenders. Both of them shoe-ins expected for the playoffs. And that was the biggest defensive slugfest I think regular season week one has seen in many, many years. It was a great game to watch. Unfortunate outcome for the Baltimore Ravens, obviously, but it was one. It was a wonderful game from top to bottom in the aspect that both teams were just beating the dog piss out of each other on if you were on offense, you weren't happy, you know, and I like seeing those kind of football games. I'm an AFC North fan, you know, obviously I'm going to love that stuff. I cannot judge in these two games whether or not we have a different defensive coordinator if it continues like the Raiders games obviously by week eight I'm going to say yeah Matt I should have agreed by then but after seeing week one it's kind of tough and I think we may be pulling the trigger too quickly on this kind of a situation but we don't know yet you know it's tough and I think that's why we got to settle it down we're very frustrated we're fans of a team that has pulverized opposing offenses for years and finally we have a really, really bad game. And we go, this ain't right. You know, this feels like the <laughs> New England Patriots against the Kansas City Chiefs scenario and the aspect of uh, just the defense. That team had a total collapse against Kansas City, but the Baltimore Ravens had a very big total collapse only on the defensive side of the ball. And it was so, we're very scared of it because we're so used to everything working out right. We're so used to having everything work well on the defensive side of the ball. Why didn't anything work? So I think we just got to settle it down, and in the coming weeks we'll have a much more clear answer. Well, Kyle, I'm, I'm going to make you answer something real quick for me. Okay. Week one, obviously, it's against Peyton Manning. Now, a lot of people have said this is not the same Peyton Manning anymore, and, and while right. players don't typically overnight become you know, stars to duds, it, it has happened before, and especially with the quarterback position, especially with a guy that's been as dinged up as Peyton Manning has been. Obviously, we talked about it game day uh, against the Broncos. He couldn't feel the tips of his fingers. It, do you think that we're, we're still kind of saying this is the Denver Broncos when Peyton Manning first got there, or this is the old Peyton Manning still? And at this point, are, are, are we just – are we kind of delusioning ourselves to thinking that the Broncos still have a powerhouse offense? Because um, I'm not entirely sure they do. I mean, they lost Julius, Th- uh, yeah, Julius Thomas, I think. Uh, yep. And, you know, they don't have the best running game in the world. They have mm-hmm. kind of a crappy offensive line. I, you know, I, I don't know, Kyle. I, I don't know if this is the, the elite offense that we were expecting to see this season. Now, um, I, I'm, I can answer this one because I, I wrote huge, huge breakdowns on this situation. Uh, Manning has two very weak tackles on his team after Ryan Clady went down. He has very experienced guards in Louis Vasquez and Evan Mathis. 
and their center is no slouch either. Now, he's not had two very weak guards, like, well, excuse me, tackles uh, in many years. So all of a sudden he's getting hit more, and obviously that throws Manning off. It throws any quarterback off if he's getting hit put to the turf too many times, especially Manning, who got hit, what, 17 times all season, like one or two seasons ago. It was nuts. Yeah. His, his totals were stupid low. Also, he still has two very talented weapons, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Sanders has been a third down conversion machine. He has he had three out of three to start the game against the Ravens. He had over four third down conversions total uh, in that game. He had three more, I believe, against the Chiefs. He's a weapon. And I know he's not Eric Decker, Wes Welker, Julius Thomas, and Demarius Thomas, but he's still a talented athlete, and he's a he could be a number one on a lot of teams, and he's a number two for that team. So it's definitely a weapon. I don't expect it to completely change the offensive scheme. The uh, the it's very tough to watch because Gary Kubiak's trying to get the team to run more because we've seen it in the past. Manning's offensive weapons, you know, he. So, his team start to slouch in the playoffs because they rely on the pass so much. Gary Kubiak's trying to instill a running game on that squad, and it's tough to kind of balance it out with Manning's no-huddle offense because once you saw Manning turn that up with two minutes left before the second, you know, before the half, he threw two touchdown passes and looked just just as good as he once has before. He, they're trying to find a balance, and I think – this could be a very lethal Denver Broncos team. It's a team that's being led by the defense. And if you still have a very old Manning, it's still a threat. It's still a threat in my mind. And watching, it's tough to judge. It but is. see, from a defensive standpoint for the Ravens, with those weak tackles and Peyton Manning not being who he is, uh, and the offense completely changing what they want to do from what Manning's used to doing, all that throws the quarterback off, like you mentioned, is mm -hmm. it possible that, you know, week one, Peyton Manning's not comfortable by any stretch of the imagination. He put up 175 yards, and that has more to do with the fact that he's just not comfortable in that offense right now, and he had a weak offensive line, at least at the tackles, where the Ravens were able to apply pressure, and he doesn't mm -hmm. have the greatest running game, regardless of them trying to force it. Even though this might be a defensive-led team for – the the Denver Broncos and they might have a really great offense later on in the season week one uh, is that more the Ravens doing or is it more the the you know uh, uh Denver Broncos just not being able to keep up it was the Ravens doing and uh, it's driving me nuts that everybody's wanting to put the clickbait style of Manning's finally getting old he is don't get me wrong. I agree. Manning, this is his last year, in my opinion. I do not see him coming back next season. It's out of my mind at this point, but I don't know Peyton Manning. I don't hang out with him, so I don't know his official statements or thoughts yet. I do, like, the Ravens matched up very well against that team. Jimmy Smith can handle any big receiver in the league, barring maybe Julio Jones. I think Julio Jones's speed combination with his uh, athletic ability is better than Demarius Thomas or possibly even Des Bryant. I know he's better than Calvin Johnson. Uh, Lardarius Webb, with some shadowing from linebackers and safeties, could handle Emmanuel Sanders enough. 
the two weakest spots on that offense were the left and right tackle, whereas the, one of the best uh, positions for the Ravens is their left and right outside linebackers, which was Terrell Suggs and Elvis Doomerville. They racked up the second most sacks by a defensive pair in the league. So we had them beat in that aspect, and we were tied up when it came to the their uh, guard and center combo to our defensive end and defensive tackle combo. The question mark was really, is their tight end situation better than the Ravens linebacker situation? And it turned out to be no. C.J. Mosley and Daryl Smith are much better than their tight end situation is. That's why I think the Ravens defense was outstanding in that game. And that's what caused it to look like Manning wasn't his old self. It wasn't his normal self. The Ravens just matched up perfectly against that team particularly. That was the big difference, I think. The Ravens just matched up really well. It wasn't Manning's decline. It was the Ravens' stellar play. Okay, fair enough. Holy cow. I think that's the first time I've heard you say that. <laughs> I, I could still I argue with it. you for hours, Kyle. But, yeah, uh... yeah, that's the, yeah, but we got a show to do, folks, and, <laughs> and I can't keep yapping on and on about that. Up next is going to be the Ravens have been pass-heavy, uh, very reliable on passing plays as a whole, and we haven't seen as much rushing plays. You know, Is that is that a sight of things to come, or is it just a random anomaly? In my personal opinion, I see it as an anomaly. Um, the Ravens are trying to get something going, and they're kind of just shying away from it. They're scared because it's not working, and they haven't been forcing it as much as they usually do. The Ravens' run game was kind of, for you know, get the run game going, and we're just going to keep trying until it finally works. And I know that sounds Cam Cameron-esque, but <laughs> establishing the run game in Ravens' history has been key to success. And when we get scared after a couple three and outs, they go, you know what? We can't do that. Let's start passing it. Let's air this ball out. But there's not been a good balance. You need to have some running plays. You also need to throw to the hugest offensive weapon on the team, which is not the run game, which is not Steve Smith, Kamar Aiken, Marlon Brown, any of those. It's Crockett Gilmore, who manhandles about three tacklers every time he catches the ball <laughs> and, and blows up, you know, a, a couple defense. He's hit linebackers down. He's shoved away corners, safeties. He'll do anything, man. He'll outrun any of those defensive linemen, and he's going to make plays. He has such a size advantage. You want to talk about a player? Let's talk about Rob Gronkowski. He's 6'5", 260 pounds, and people are terrified of him. I believe Gronk's actually 6'7". You know what the same person uh, stats-wise is? Crockett Gilmore. He's 6'7", 265. He's five pounds bigger than Gronkowski. Yes, he's not the same playmaker, obviously. I'm not comparing these two in the talent aspect. I'm comparing them in size. Everybody wants to talk about a mismatch that Rob Gronkowski is. Crockett Gilmore is the same exact build height and and size wise that's a player you need to incorporate more in the offensive scheme have some run plays throw to the tight ends get a play action get the wide receivers going deep get them open on intermediate routes there hasn't been a balance and that's the problems i believe the ravens are seeing currently matt what's your take I, you know, I don't think it's an anomaly, Kyle. I, I think this is an offense that Mark Trestman wants to install, and he wants to use the pass to set up the run. And we talked about it a little bit before, but 
the Ravens' offensive line is not the same that it was. I mean, they, they lost Eugene Monroe to a concussion week one early in the game, had to put in James Hurst, and then rolled with Hurst week two. Looks like they might even do it week three because Monroe's still out with a concussion so far. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But And then you've got Ricky Wagner on the other side who just has not been playing like himself. Uh it's kind of a toss-up. I mean, now I, I will say that the Ravens have overwhelmingly run right up the middle, which is not exactly what worked for Kubiak in the past. Uh, so that might be something to do with it. But this offensive line's not playing like it did last season. And mm-hmm. if the passing game's going to work, then it's it's going to work. Now, I mean, the Ravens have 40 first downs this season. Obviously, it's been two games, so you can average 20 a game. Uh, with rushing, they've gotten 13 of those. With passing, they've gotten 21. So it, it's so heavy-handedly on the first downs from a passing standpoint. I, I I don't think this is a team that's going to shy away from passing when you've got Steve Smith Sr., when you've got Kamar Aiken, when you've got Crockett Gilmore. And I, I think we saw it last week in, in Oakland. The Ravens passed. They, they sprinkled some run in, in order to use play-action pass, but then they mm-hmm. then by the end of the game, the defense was tired. They were wore out from trying to run around and keep up with everything and trying to tackle that big-ass Crockett Gilmore. Mm-hmm. By the end of the game, the Ravens were able to run effectively on them. So maybe we're seeing a, a different shade of the Ravens where they used to be run to set up the pass. Now maybe it's pass to set up the run. It's frustrating to say the least. Uh, I I want to see the run game, and one of the things you mentioned, we've been running up the middle more often than than we're used to. That's not something I like because the stretch zone run that Kubiak installed was not supposed to be shied away from, but incorporated. That's what Mark Tressman said. He ran the same type of zone blocking. Why isn't he running the same kind of zone runs that were so successful last year? Zone stretch run uh, out of the power and out of eye and out of even single back with uh, twin tight ends or a slot, a bigger slot receiver like how Marlon Brown was out there trying to do some blocking because he is a bigger player. He's not the best run blocker, but it still is satisfying enough to put him against a cornerback, a slot corner, you know. Uh, those were working to the effect of over 100 yards and five and a half yards per carry last time I checked for you know Justin Forsett's stats last season. Why aren't the Ravens incorporating the same style that was promised with only added wrinkles instead of kind of a change in formation to the passing, like you mentioned? You know, I I'm hoping it's anomaly, an anomaly as much as I believe it is at this point. Well, just really quick, uh, we, we have the stats right here. The Ravens to the left end, and that's to the wide receivers, uh, that's well past the tackle, have only run two plays. To left tackle, they've run seven plays. To behind left guard, fifth, excuse me, five plays. Up the middle, right behind the center, 25 plays. To the wow. right guard, now keep in mind, Marshall Yonda is the right guard, pro bowler, all pro, uh, potential Hall of Fame player, Five plays. They've only run five plays behind him. (laughs) Three plays behind the right tackle and only one play wide right. Now, running left and and right, the heavy uh, uh, ends, they rank left is 30th, and they rank 32nd on the right. 
Meanwhile, wow. they rank fifth in all of NFL in the number of times they run directly up the middle. That's never been the that's never been the strat like the strategy for the Ravens the past few years with Ray Rice we didn't run it straight up the middle with uh, Justin Forsett we shouldn't be running it up the middle we have smaller backs you know we don't have Marshawn Lynch blasting up the middle forcing some you know broken tackles we don't have Jamal Charles who lightning quick is blowing through that a gap you know being already past the linebackers before the play is realized we have justin forsett who is a one cut back who excels in stretch plays and you're right we should be following who i have quoted this so many times john gruden goes all right on this offense i like to follow the guy i call the compass and he's called the compass because if you don't know where the play's going you look at your compass and that's going to be marshall yonda and the, I want to know why we're not running it behind him. That's insane. I trust Marshall Yonda to block for me for 100 yards at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's the him and Rick Wagner's run blocking was exceptional. Rick was mainly known actually for his pass blocking, blocking last season. But I mean, when you're, you're when you're blocking next to Marshall Yonda, you're just going to be good because you don't got to worry about anything. I've seen that man block three guys in a single play. I've seen him consistently block two guys almost every single run play when it's off to that right side. I know exactly which plays to the left outside uh, the wide receiver are. It's going to be that third and thirteen that the Ravens have faced a few times. They go trips left. And it's a pitch toss to Justin Forsett, and we sweep it out, and we have a guard pull as well. Therefore, you have four blockers on a very strange-looking play because by the time he's pitched it out, the DN can't come inside. And when he does get sucked inside, it's an extra, an extra lineman being able to block another player. Those are the three ones because I memorized the play formation when I saw it. I was like, hey, they got that trips formation up again. All of a sudden, you see Forsett sweeping outside. That's what they're running. And – why aren't they doing it? You know, I yeah. I would love to ask Tressman at this point. Why aren't you doing the successful things that happened last year or attempting them? I know it's not going to work every single year. You never go every single season and go. We're going to do everything that we did last year successfully. You can't promise that, but at least trying would be a different standpoint. You know. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that one. And that's some of my criticism on Mark Tressman as an offensive coordinator so far in Baltimore. Now, obviously, it's like we mentioned with Dean Pease, it's only two games. Let's not get too hot about him a, a, yeah. as a coach. But, you know, he's not able to finish drives because he's throwing up jump balls to Steve Smith in the end zone, which why you would throw it to like a 5'10 wide receiver who's covered by like a six foot two cornerback is beyond me, at least for a jump ball situation. And then why the hell are we running it straight up the gut like we're a power O formation uh, mm -hmm. type of team? That's not who we are. That's not who we've been since Jamal Lewis. Um, yep. And even then, it was – Jamal Lewis is more of a one-cut back just like Justin Forsett. He just had some meat behind him to be able to go ahead and push through. So Absolutely. I, it's, it's confusing for me why we're still doing that. And maybe that is part of the reason why – Lorenzo Taliaferro is so crucial to this offense, and we've seen a lot more of him. We saw a ton of him last week uh, against the Oakland Raiders because maybe he's the type of back that Trustman likes. Uh, just a meteor back, a guy with a little bit of speed, but plenty enough power to kind of punish it in there. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, it's uh, the one thing I can I can only say, and it's not credit to Mark Tresman, it's credit to Steve, Steve Smith, is throwing jump balls to 5'10 Steve Smith doesn't feel like he's 5'10. feels <laughs> like that man is 6'2 just as much as the corner because the tenacity he brings to any any pass play towards him is 20 times as much as any cornerback has, which that's the only reason it makes sense. It doesn't make sense that Tressman's doing it. It makes sense that Steve Smith's the one getting the jump ball thrown to. Uh, but, yeah, I'm still frustrated in seeing it. I'm like, man, I don't want to see Steve Smith doing the jumping, but it is it is Mr. Senior still able to make those plays. It, it's it's frustrating nonetheless, though. I, I can know? completely agree with you on that one, Kyle. I mean, if, if there's anybody that you're going to throw it to that's five foot ten, you, you throw it to Senior, who, like you said, will fight for that. Bo- He'll bite a motherfucker before he lets up the exactly. ball. Exactly. <laughs> Go to exactly. somebody else. And, you know, that's that's impressive. But you still have you have guys like Darren Waller, who's, what, like 6'6". You've yep. got... Uh, you know, Kamar Aiken, who is what six four. You got Crockett six, four Gilmore, six, five. who's six five. I, I just, I don't know why in the world you don't throw a jump ball to those guys, your biggest guys on the team. Why you would throw it to your shortest wide receiver? It's just, it's kind of comical if you're not a Ravens fan. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, moving along, we're finished up with the with the with the uh, Raiders Ravens game. We're moving past that finally. We got time for some questions. We got a couple sent to us. The first one that I'm seeing is by Patty Doves. Shout out to Patty Doves. He's listened in a few weeks. More important to stop the Bengals' rushing attack or get pressure on Dalton early? Matt, I'm going to let you take this one first. I'm going to put you on the spot. Damn, I was hoping you were going to take it. (laughs) I, I think right now it's more important to stop the rushing attack. Make Andy Dalton throw the ball. And I know Andy Dalton has been great so far this season. Uh, no I believe he, has, he has eight touchdowns, zero interceptions on the year. So uh, that might seem like a dumb idea, but <laughs> by making them one dimensional, you, you hope that your secondary is able to get it together after this past week. And then at that point, then you know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to stop trying to run the ball. They're going to go ahead and put it in Andy Dalton's hands. And then you can just pin your ears back and tee off on him. Like you're a golf club. Amen. And, and I- you know, the pressure on Dalton later in the game is what makes him throw pick sixes. So uh, that's it, it's a little bit of both. And I'm sorry, Patty Dubs. It's it, it's both of them really. But uh, I think you got to stop that rushing attack first. I'm I'm a, I'm in agreement that you got to stop the rushing attack because I trust Jimmy Smith to hold his own against AJ Green. He's done it every single year. The only year it didn't happen. And the only game that it didn't happen was when James Iadigbo swatted the ball up on a Hail Mary <laughs> that fell great. Like, like it was it was a Madden play, man. He just swats it up and it bounces to uncovered AJ Green standing alone in the end zone on a hail. Like, are you kidding me? That's what put uh, AJ Green over 100 yards against uh, Jimmy Smith. Because they they put that as he was the guy technically covering him on that play, so the fault technically is against Jimmy Smith. He had back to back to back to back games against Brandon Marshall, Calvin Johnson, AJ Green, Josh Gordon, and Antonio Brown. It was five weeks in a row that he held all of those guys under uh, one touchdown. None of them had a single touchdown. In fact, besides AJ Green on that catch, and none under 100 yards, except for AJ Green on a 54-yard hail mary. 
That's what's so exclusive to Jimmy Smith. He can cover the big number one red zone threats. He he shuts them down because he doesn't let them do anything good in the open field. And and in the red zone, he's just big enough and strong enough to not allow the fade routes. He doesn't. He just doesn't. I know that's like, nah, we're good. I'm not letting that happen. You know, that's that's my job. You guys can figure another way out to score. My name's Jimmy Smith. Suck it. That's really how he goes about it, and I love it. So I'm not worried about the passing attack, uh, which also I kind of in turn go as pressure on Dalton Early. Ravens need to stop the running attack. They have a dual threat of Giovanni Bernard and Jeremy Hill, which both have had good games. The very first week, Jeremy Hill said, you know, I feel like scoring two touchdowns a day. Y'all can eat it. And that's exactly what he did. The next week, Giovanni Bernard seemed to be getting more of the carries, started putting up some putting up some good running numbers. And both of them are very talented. Both of them are great running backs, and both could start on a lot of teams. So I want to stop the running attack before it gets going. I mean, they have a great line. They have a great uh, OC that's able to get some plays, get some good looks. I want to stop that running attack, make this team one-dimensional. Because at the Ravens M&T Bank Stadium, with the with the crowd, with the teams, uh, they, they seem to just do better at home. There was a – Matt and I talked about this before. They actually had one of the greatest home field advantages in plus-minus style of uh, points. That's the team that I want to make one-dimensional, Andy Dalton, because he's been back and forth. He, he's never put to rest his, uh, his clutch gene, as some people call it, or ability when it comes down to the wire. I, I hope to see that the Ravens can make him one-dimensional and put, put fear back into Andy Dalton's heart because he's looking phenomenal with, at eight touchdowns, zero interceptions, and over 100 QBR rating, I believe, over the first two games. That's key. Next question, though, is by Terrell80906. Gilmore, former CSU guy, talking about Crockett Gilmore. Uh, Terrell's actually here in Fort Collins. Great guy. Shout out to him. But looking at the schedule for the next four to five weeks, do you think those are winnable games? Minus the Browns, who don't know right from left. That's good. At least we get to make fun of the Browns here on the podcast, and it's not just Matt and I. That's always nice. It's always comforting seeing that. But the, in the next four to five weeks, I believe it's going to be uh, it's Bengals, Steelers, Browns, and then I don't know the next ones. Uh, it is Bengals. Cincinnati, it is Pittsburgh, it is Cleveland, it is the 49ers, and then after mm-hmm. that is the Arizona Cardinals. Okay. Uh, I'm worried about this game. I'm worried about the game this week right now. Uh, I'm acting like I'm John Harbour. We're just going to take a week to week, practice after practice. But yeah, I'm worried about this game right now because this, to me, feels very important. You know, this game right now is very key to the success of what happens. The Ravens have never been three and zero in Baltimore history. You mean never once? Oh, oh and three. Yes, oh and three. Yeah, uh, my bad. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's vital that they don't even you know go home after getting thwomped on in winnable games and losing in the final moments and then have a heartbreaker to Cincinnati. They go 3-0. and We're 0-3 and down 1-0 in the divisional uh, matchups for AFC North contention. It's frustrating. Uh, next week after that, we got to play the Steelers, who's a 
superpower in the offensive side of the ball. Their defense is the biggest question mark, which is, like I mentioned earlier, bizarro NFL. The Browns look to be mildly successful. Every every year people say, oh, don't sleep on the Browns, and then we say, no, they're the same old Browns. We don't know anymore. They're a coin flip at this point. And then San Francisco, I'm not too sure about. They looked great week one. They got embarrassed week two. We don't know enough about them yet. And Arizona, if Carson Palmer's healthy, I'm scared. That's all there is to it. He is his last 13 games, I believe. He was like 13 and 0 or 9 and 3 over his last 13 games. It's ranged back two years, unfortunately, because he's had so many injuries. But when he's on the field, he gives them a Super Bowl's chance of winning. Seriously, in my mind, I'm worried. I don't like this. I don't like our schedule this season. We have to play NFC West, AFC West, and our lovely AFC North division, which is a fist fight every single year. I'm worried about the next four to five weeks. The start of the schedule we all talked about was going to be the hardest. Now, we're hoping to pull away some games at this point. Matt, what are you thinking, though? Uh, I think that, and we'll talk about this in just a few minutes, but I think the Cincinnati Bengals game is absolutely a must-win game for the Ravens, and you mentioned it, Kyle. They've never started 0-3, and being down 0-3 in this division with a one loss in the division already would all but kind of crush the Ravens' season from there on out. Regardless of how well they did, they'd have to go on a tear and win every game outside of that uh, in order to really have a shot at winning the division and, and at winning uh, you know, home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So, you know, the, the Bengals, that's the game that you got to pay attention to right now. But back uh, outside of that, you're looking at Pittsburgh, you're looking at Cleveland, so, uh, the 49ers, and then the Cardinals. Uh, I, I think, like you mentioned, Kyle, the Steelers are nothing to sleep on. Uh, the Browns are still nothing to sleep on. Now, they're kind of going through their quarterback controversy, and hopefully that's still intact uh, by the time we play them. But, um, you know, with Manziel behind the behind center, I mean, they, they haven't looked terrible. Uh, they, they make some head-scratching, you know, plays, but they're, they're still a pretty young team led by a pretty young quarterback. Uh, it's, I don't think that's terribly uh, unexpected, but they're still a good team from, from tip to top, really. Uh, the 49ers, like you said, Kyle, I mean, they're... They're hot and cold, so we have no idea who the 49ers actually are right now. Uh, they seem to have a lot of heart. They seem to have a, a lot of big play ability. Hopefully the Ravens are able to lock that down. But uh, I, I, at this point, I don't think you can count any game as a win. Uh, we Most people thought the Raiders game was going to be an easy win. They had that penciled in as a, as a W in the, in the win column. But losing that game like they did... Uh, I would have thought San Francisco 49ers would be a, an automatic win as well, but I'm not too sure anymore. So, you know, hopefully the Ravens are able to set things right against Cincinnati. They're able to show not just the NFL, but themselves and, and the fans that they can go ahead and take it to a really good team in the Bengals, and they can go ahead and, and kind of punish them and play well on all three sides of the ball. If they can do that, then I'll start feeling a lot more confident about the 49ers and about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you still have the Pittsburgh Steelers and you still have the Arizona Cardinals, which, as you mentioned, Kyle, are really good teams. They're, they're top 10 level teams easily. Um, so 
you know, it, it's it's a tough next four or five weeks. After that, it gets a little bit easier as, as the Ravens have to face the Chargers, the Jaguars, the Rams, the Cleveland Browns again. Uh, so, you know, hopefully the Ravens come out of this, uh, you know, this this next few sh- weeks stretch at five and two. Yeah, you at this point, no game is a, is an easy win. We like you said, we thought the Raiders were going to be an easy win. Look what the hell happened. I'm we're all concerned now. Which games are winnable? Which ones are we underdogs in, and which ones are we truly underdogs in? Because I know when the Ravens are uh, like negative, you know, not looking to be the favorites, we're almost more excited. But now we're kind of <laughs> taking those with actual thinking and go, maybe we are really the underdogs. Maybe the Ravens aren't as good as we all thought they were. They look great on paper, but we've seen many teams with great rosters fluke. Uh, The dream team Eagles we've seen mess up. We've seen many teams go, man, they look phenomenal, but they can't execute. And that's all about, that's what it is in this league. Execution, making plays, being successful uh, and everybody doing their job. And now we're now we're kind of second guessing it, and that's what I'm worried is what happens if the players themselves start second guessing it. What if Brandon Williams starts getting nervous on that defensive line? What if uh, Jimmy Smith starts second guessing his coverage ability, or Will Hill can't, uh, you know, doesn't know whether or not to go for the pick or go for the tackle or go for the ball, and he starts second guessing himself, and he goes for none of those by the time it happens. Losses happen. That's exactly what happens. The Ravens start taking more L's, and all of a sudden we see us at the bottom of the division, and the Browns are even up on us two games. It, it, it can happen, and it's it's really not that hard to happen. Winning and losing in this league is very, very difficult, and you just see a few, a few more question marks on this team happen, and we could be 1-5, we could be 2-4, or we could be – Oh, and six, and we're all crying, and you and I can't even do this podcast without drinking. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's really frustrating, and we're we're starting to feel nervous. And you and I were so very high up on this team, and we were talking about health, and immediately the left tackle and the uh, and, and Terrell Suggs have big injuries, and it's nervous. It's nervousness, man. And speaking of injuries, we're going to go straight to the injury report. We actually get that uh, email to us every single day from uh, – and I'm just going to let Matt take over from here. How does that sound? Hey, that's that sounds good, Kyle. Good deal. All right. Well, on Wednesday, Chris Canny, the defensive end, was out with a calf injury. Eugene Monroe, as we mentioned, the tackle, out with a concussion. First-round wide receiver Brashad Perryman out with a knee, did not participate, and running back Lorenzo Taliaferro, out also with a foot. That all kind of sounds familiar because it's pretty much exactly the same injury report from week one. Uh, Now, on Thursday today, Chris Canny's still out, uh, and there's been some talk that it's going to be an iffy situation for him. He wants to play, but he'll see if he can do it, and we'll know more, obviously, uh, by game day, where we'll be covering right here live. Uh, Eugene Monroe still out with a concussion. Uh, with with the new concussion protocols, that's kind of a difficult thing to overcome uh, at times. C.J. Mosley missed practice today uh, because of a non-injury related event, and Lorenzo Taliaferro, the running back, was still out with a foot. On the bright spot, 
our man Brashad Perryman, wide receiver, first-round selection for the Baltimore Ravens. The Torrey Smith clone, hopefully more, practiced. He finally practiced today. It's his first time practicing being out on the field since the first day of training camp. That is a long, long time ago. So he was happy to be out there in uh, limited participation today. Cornerback Trey Walk, excuse me, Trey Walker uh, was able to be there with a thigh injury. He was also limited participation. Uh, for the Bengals, Wednesday, AJ Green was out. Marcus Hender Hardison was out, uh, defensive tackle. Defensive tackle Pat Sims was out with a hip injury, and tackle Andrew Whitworth was out with a back injury. Uh, limited participation on Wednesday was defensive end Wallace Gilberry with a thigh. Leon Hall, the cornerback, uh, non-injury related. And safety Reggie Nelson with a groin injury. This, today, uh, we get defensive tackle Pat Sims out with a hip injury. And probably one of the funniest injuries I think I've ever heard is <laughs> Andre Smith out with a buttocks injury. Now, that's directly from the Bengals in that instance. He's out with an ass cheek injury. <laughs> <laughs> defensive tackle Marcus Hardison limited participation on a knee and then everybody else was full participation including obviously wide receiver AJ Green the Ravens are certainly hoping that he is not fully healthy 100% by the time they play Sunday uh, that would be nice and a little bit of a help for Jimmy Smith in that secondary to kind of get back on their stride again absolutely now a key player that I'm uh wanting to talk about is Andrew Whitworth. What was his, what was his uh, participation today? Uh, Andrew Whitworth, he was full participation with still a little bit of a, a nagging back injury, but he was full, fully participated in 100% of the uh, player's normal repetitions. See, that guy is going to be very much key to success for the Bengals. He's their left tackle, and he's one of the most dominant tackles in the NFL right now, especially seeing the decline of Marcus Peters. Andrew Whitworth looks to be the guy that could maybe hold the torch as one of the better, uh, you know, even more top three instead of just being top five or top eight as a left tackle. That man can block. And that man doesn't just pass block and stop pass rushers. That man can throw around some run blocking. And that's not what we want to see as the Ravens uh, are going up against Gio Bernard and Jeremy Hill. We want to be able to stop that guy. We want to be able to slow his role in, in the blocking game. Andrew Whitworth is good. He's very, very good. And I, I, I never want to wish injury upon a player. That's messed up. You never want to do that. You can't be like, man, I really hope this guy breaks a leg. Literally. I really hope he's out with it. Like, but you definitely don't want to face these guys. You know, like I don't wish it injury upon anybody but i sure as hell would be sleeping better at night if andrew whitworth wasn't playing against the ravens <laughs> this weekend you know what i mean he's so very good and i always acknowledge a player's talents regardless of he's on my team or their team i'm going to be able to talk about him because i like i like seeing talented players talented teams andrew don't hurt us too much <laughs> <laughs> If you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown podcast, don't hurt us too much. <laughs> we also do have some PFF factoids about the Ravens and Bengals. For those at home that do not know what PFF is, it's pro football focus. It's a great ranking system. It's not the be-all, end-all of ranking systems, though. It's just a very good one that 
a lot of SB Nation likes to use, and it's a good way to judge some players on their pass rush, pass block. Um, their talents is as a thrower, as a quarterback, you know, run game, anything and everything. You can pretty much find any stat that you want to look for at PFF. The rankings are really really helpful, especially for my job, trying to write about all these players that I don't know everything about. I haven't memorized every 53-man roster over all 32 teams. That's a little bit difficult, but I try my best, folks. Now, Matt has these PFF factoids. What are the ones about the Ravens, Matt? Kyle, the first one is the PFF grade summary for the Ravens' Week 2 loss against Oakland. Uh, Marshall Yonda was a positive 4.1. Steve Smith Sr. was a positive 3.9. And Justin Forsett was a positive 3.1. They were among the top performers. That's uh, wonderful here. Absolutely. And and we talked a little bit about running behind Marshall Yanda. He is currently the highest graded right tackle in the league with a .6 overall. And, and most of that is due to the fact that he has a .36 mark in run blocking. Run mm-hmm. behind the big man. That's what you should have done in the first place. Uh, speaking of the offensive line, they cleaned up their act after a dreadful week one uh, in which they allowed 21 pressures in 34 dropbacks by allowing just eight pressures and no sacks against the Oakland Raiders. However, James Hurst, the left tackle who is filling in for Eugene Monroe with that concussion, allowed five of those eight pressures. Uh, and he currently leads all OTs, all offensive tackles, in pressures allowed with 16 and ranks near last excuse me, ranks last, just straight out dead last in pass blocking with a negative 13.9 through two games. That's going to be hell for him to go ahead and make up the difference, but hopefully we see that against the uh, Cincinnati Bengals at home if Eugene Monroe is not able to play. Uh, Big news on the defensive front, Brandon Williams ranks second in run defense out of all nose tackles in the league with a plus 5.7 grade. Big man Brandon Williams doing it. Uh, bad news, though, is Courtney Upshaw is graded the second to last out of all three, four outside linebackers with a negative 5.4 grade overall through two weeks. Kyle Arrington is also in the bottom 10 of coverage grade, negative 3.5 out of all cornerbacks in the league. He has allowed catches on all 11 of his targets. Oh, man. And has allowed a 126.1 quarterback rating. And I was praising this guy so much, and now I have to sit here and eat it. (laughs) Sorry about that, Kyle. Uh, On the the other side of the coin, though, Will Hill is the highest-graded safety in the league, not just the AFC, not just the AFC North, but the entire league with a plus 4.8 overall grade, including being second in coverage with plus 2.5 and sixth in run support at plus 2.2. Will Hill is playing phenomenally, and the Ravens gave him a an additional year in his contract this offseason uh, to kind of reward him for his uh, play last season and being able to keep his nose clean throughout the offseason, which has been a little bit of a problem for him over the last few years when he was with the Giants. So uh, good for Will Hill, proving that he is an all-around stud of a player, uh, and, and tops as a safety in the league. Absolutely. Will, Thrill, 
uh, Thrill Hill is one of my favorites, and it, it's even better because his last, he's the third of his name, so it still looks like he has ill on the end of his jersey. But yeah, no, I love watching Will Hill. I'm so happy we got him as an acquisition. Uh, we had him at a pretty much veteran minimum. He was suspended for 10 games. He showed up and then balled on on uh, especially New Orleans pick six showed up. I believe that was his first or second game back. And he showed up and revitalized the broken defense of the Ravens. And I love watching that man play. He called out his turnover against, uh, against the Raiders. He said, yo, we got to get a turnover here, guys. We got to do it. And then he picked picked off Derek Carr. The man balls, and I love watching that man play. He's good. He's a playmaker, but he's also very smart and doesn't always take the aggressive risks. He does safety right. He plays safety. It's wonderful. Now continue, please. <laughs> well, that's it for the Ravens. Next up, we uh-huh. have the Bengals, mm-hmm. and we have the PFF grade summary for the Bengals' Week 2 win against the San Diego Chargers. Geno Atkins, plus 5.6. Bodine with a plus 4.3, and Gilberry with a plus 3.7 were among their top performers. Uh, both Cincinnati halfbacks, and we talked about this just a little while ago, Kyle, mm-hmm. are in the top 10 in run grade after the first two weeks. Uh, number one is Brashad, or excuse me, Bernard with plus 3.5, and number 10 is Hill with a plus 1.2. So, as you mentioned, Kyle, both of those guys can turn it on and can be huge playmakers for the Bengals. Uh, so the Ravens have to keep an eye out for those two guys. Uh, Tyler Eifert is the third highest graded tight end in the league, uh, both overall plus 5.4 and as a pass catcher plus 3.9. Wow. Uh, the Bengals have a top level offensive line, and as a unit, they've only allowed seven combined pressures through two games. Now, keep in mind, the Ravens allowed eight pressures just last week. They are second (laughs) in pass-blocking efficiency. Second in pass-blocking efficiency. And Bowling ranks at the best of his position, uh, both as a run blocker, plus 4.7, and overall, plus 6.5, while Whitworth, 6.0, is fourth, and Bodine, 3.1, is third rank near the top of their positions as well. So let's hope that yeah, all we can do at this point is hope that they have a bad game when the Ravens have an exceptional one. You know what I mean? That's exactly it. Uh, defensively, Carlos Dunlap has a plus 3.5 and Wallace Gilberry has a plus 2.0 rank and our top 10 uh, for four, four, three defensive ends. Uh, Geno Atkins has a ridiculous grade at plus 2.1. Uh, he's the second highest graded defensive tackle after two games, largely due to his 8.2 plus grade on as a pass rusher, also being second behind only Aaron Donald in both categories. Now, in, in the secondary, they're still really good. Both Adam Jones and Leon Hall, both cornerbacks, rank in the top 15 out of all cornerbacks for both coverage, and plus 2.8, plus 2.0, uh, respectively, and overall grades, plus 4.8 and plus 2.0. That's a hell of a team defensively. It's a hell of a team offensively. It's it's 
going to be a battle. And according to PFF's numbers here, it looks like the Ravens are going to be facing off against one of the best teams in the NFL this week. So hopefully, like we mentioned, they can pull something out of their ass and, and kind of uh, you know show the Bengals and the NFL and themselves uh, what the Ravens are all about. Man, I really hope this works out because this is not the team that I, I appreciate going. Oh, and uh, we're already 0-2, coming back home. I sure would love uh, a gimme right about now, but we're going to have to fight against a big, tough-tier team. And if we do it, if the Ravens can do this week well, that'll, that'll turn a lot more heads than if it was a gimme. So this is going to be key. It really is. Like you and I mentioned, this is a must-win game. You have to win this game. You're at home. You're 0-2. Backs against the wall. Team is going to be desperate for a win. It's going to be a – I'm hoping it's going to be a dogfight, and I hope the Ravens can win because this is a team that, like you said, they're built for success, and it it relies on their quarterback coming in clutch at this point. If their offense and defense can't promise to get it done, he will have to get it done. And I know I did say offense, but – Offense and the quarterback are kind of a different thing in the aspect of can Dalton actually, you know, come through? Because if the offensive run game and the wide receivers can't come through, can he still deliver? Can he show up and make them win? Because some quarterbacks have that ability, obviously. And a lot of thing, a lot of questions around Andy Dalton is his playoff success and his his success in primetime games. Andy Dalton could easily bury the Ravens if if it comes to it on this weekend. I hate saying that. That that disgusted me. You <laughs> <laughs> and I went over this pretty much. What are the keys to this game? We stop in the run. You gotta you gotta seal that edge. You gotta block up you know you gotta fill all those holes and snuff this team out, force them to be one dimensional and then make the Make some big plays happen. Force them turnovers, become successful, and make plays. Make plays. Stop the run game. Stop it once. Stop it twice. Stop it a million times. Force Andy Dalton to throw it a million times because Will Hill will eventually get one of those. Jimmy Smith has more than enough options to get one of those because he's going up against A.J. Green. I know that Andy Dalton throws it to him when he gets scared. He forces passes in that window when he gets scared. And Jimmy has enough playmaking ability to at least swat him away or be able to snag one out of the air. That's going to be vital to winning this game. On offense, we haven't really talked about that much because we're, we've been so focused on our lackluster defense after playing the Raiders. Uh, start running behind Yonda. Please, for the love of God. Start running it to the right side and getting Justin Forsett going. Let's get the run game established. Let's establish it early, and then we'll be able to air it out. Let's get the play action incorporated. Let's get the zone stretch run, some naked bootlegs, as Joe Flacco looked so good last year using, and that is not sarcasm, folks. And let's let's go win a fucking game. Like, <laughs> let's quote Joe, let's, I'm quoting Joe Flacco when I say that. Let's go win a fucking game. Come on. Let's go, Ravens. Matt, what are your keys to the game? Kyle, my keys to the game are pretty similar to yours. Uh, like we said, 
you got to go ahead and start running the ball and you got to run effectively. Uh, excuse me. You, you know, yeah. You know what? I'm going to go with that. Uh, you yeah. you got to run the ball effectively. Uh, it sets up play action pass. It keeps the Bengals defense honest and hopefully you're able to go ahead and, and break somebody free at some point and get a large chunk of yards. Uh, by the end of the game, hopefully you've worn them out defensively and you're able to kind of pound that ball in there even more and, and get some uh, big plays in the fourth quarter like the Ravens have been known to do over the last few seasons. Uh, in addition to that, you got to stop the run. If you stop the run, that goes ahead and holds the Bengals down significantly on what they're able to do, and it makes Andy Dalton one-dimensional. It makes that entire team one-dimensional, which means you can pin your ears back and start heading after him, uh, like we had mentioned before, uh, with Terrell's question, or excuse me, uh, uh, Patty Dub's question. Um, the final key for me is play smart. The Ravens had 10 penalties for 109 yards against the Raiders. They allowed. Yeah, shout out, shout out, Timmy Jernigan on 15 yards on a fucking game-winning drive. Thanks, bud. Yeah, I, you know, I, stupid play at the wrong time. And some of those were a little bogus. I mean, Will Hill's holding. Uh, um, yeah. I, I feel like the offensive player ran into him, and he didn't really hold anything. He just got in the way. Yeah. Uh, what you're allowed to do as a defender. Um, but, you know, 109 yards, that's, that's a hell of a lot of yards. It's five uh, first downs. Uh, you, you can't go ahead and give up five first downs uh, that way. If you play smart, you eliminate some of those stupid plays that you had last week against the Oakland Raiders, and maybe that makes the difference against the Raiders, and, and hopefully it makes the difference against the Cincinnati Bengals, and just playing clean, good football uh, will allow you those opportunities to kind of get up on them and, and hopefully stay above them. Make them earn every single yard. Don't give them five. Don't give them ten. Don't give them 47. Don't <laughs> do not do any of that, you know? Play smart. I know it's tough, and it's, it's going to happen. You can't go a game perfect. And, and if you do, congrats to every single player on that defense that can go perfect. And offense as well, you know? It's tough. And just limit them. Yes, a holding every once in a while is going to happen. You want to know why? Because you got beat, and instead of letting Joe Flacco get hit, you're going to want to replay fucking second down, and and have and eat the ten yard penalty, and let instead of having Joe get sacked for seven and the loss of down. I understand those plays. I understand the defensive holding when Jimmy Smith got beat and. Instead of allowing the 47-yard pass interference, he had the defensive holding call and gave him the first down. Five. I get those are smart penalties, and like we said, smart play smart. That's that's actually intelligent. Making the right penalty at the right time is intelligent. But let's let's not bank on making the wrong, the right penalty at the right time. Let's bank on not giving penalties. Make them earn every single yard, every single first down, and. And watch them try and try and try and hopefully fail at being successful and getting that ball further and further. And let's hope that their punter has his leg fall off from how many three and outs <laughs> that team has. That would be wonderful. You know, that's what I want to see. I want to see so many punts that he's sweating. You know, right when they show the the show, that little camera of his face like hanging out wiping his hands on his uh pants right before he puts his hands up to get the snap 
I want to see that guy sweating and him like putting like three fingers inside his face mask and wiping it right where that pad is right on his forehead. That's what I want to see. <laughs> now predictions for the game. I I'm coming in with none. I, I really am trying not to, to guess on this game because I've guessed the last two and I've been wrong. And, it, and then me thinking, Oh, it's probably my fault. I guessed wrong. <laughs> they, they lost because of my guesses, but I, <laughs> I'm worried Tyler Eifert's going to embarrass us, um, but I think maybe the run game will finally be able to be righted in the fact that Justin Forsett has over 100 yards. That's that's a prediction for my game, and I think Crockett Gilmore catches another touchdown pass. That's a prediction of mine. What about you, Matt? I, I'm going to go straight-up prediction here, Kyle. Uh, okay. I, I made one on another show earlier today, and I'm going to make one now. I think the Ravens win 23 23- 21. I think it's a close game. Ooh. I think they're always close games in the AFC North. And like you you mentioned earlier, Kyle, uh, and we've discussed many times before, the AFC North is a knockdown, dragout fight on every single game. Doesn't matter if it's the Browns. Doesn't matter if it's the Tennessee Titans from before. Uh, this is a division that prides itself on close, tight games. So uh, I, I see nothing different happening against the Bengals, especially uh, hearing all those PFF stats. Uh, that made me a little bit more scared of my prediction. But, um, I, you know, at home, yeah. I trust the Ravens. I trust the Ravens at home to get it done one way or another. And maybe it comes on the leg of Justin Tucker at the last minute. Maybe it comes at the defense going ahead and doing their thing at the last minute and, and finally getting a good stop. Uh, hopefully – one of those things happens uh, to where the Ravens are able to just kind of go up on them. The Ravens just need one more play than they have lately. It's one play difference. Yeah. It's, that's really what it's come down to. Joe Flacco driving the team down, and they don't finish off the drive. They lose because Darian Stewart makes a phenomenal play uh, in, in coverage. And then the next week is they couldn't successfully stop the the Raiders on their game winning drive. It's come down. We're close. They're very close. Zero and two. We could be two and zero. It's a very close game and very close record. We just feel it's not because we're zero and two. Like the numbers show it. That's all there is to it. You don't get a half loss because you were very close. That's why we're all nervous. But we're also going up against a very good team that is two and zero. So we see that as they're literally perfect right now, guys. We can't. What's going on? It's a little <laughs> bit stressful. I don't know, man. Uh, I don't. I don't want to guess on this game and be wrong a third time because then I'm totally blaming myself. <laughs> you know what? If it happens oh. again, I'm going to do what I did last season, Kyle, and I'm just going to completely guess that the Ravens lose every game from here on out. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it worked for me then. It's going to work oh, for man. me now. That's a good strategy. I keep laughing. I'm sorry. I'm trying to hold it together now. Now, we are going to talk about Rally Bus again, folks, because they do offer luxury buses to and from all sorts and types of professional sports in in America. Uh, you got MLB games you can go to with them, NHL, NBA, NFL. Take that bus, man. Don't drive. Don't be stupid buy $20 beers and buy five of them and then try and drive home. You're better than that, folks. Drive sober. Don't get pulled over. Come on. 
Let's be reasonable here. They offer luxury buses to and from the games. You'd be able to tailgate. Get like five of you. Get you and your buddies and your buddies' wives and all go to a football game or a basketball game. And just party at your guys' house. Let that bus pick you up. Take you to the game. Have fun at the game. Enjoy it. And then ride on that bus home. And you can drink on the bus home. You know? You ride safe. You ride smart. No problems. And you get $10 off if you use the discount code RAVENSRALLY10. That is R-A-V-E-N-S-R-A-L-L-Y-1-0. Ravens Rally 10. Ride safe. Ride happy. Ride with Rally Bus. And actually, Kyle, I'm going to really quickly put up a link. The Rally Bus site has uh, buses to the Pittsburgh Steelers game. That might be easier than getting into M&T Bank Stadium at this point. Use a bus. Get all the way up to Pittsburgh. Rock out your your Ravens gear, go into the Lions den, and, and hopefully the Ravens show them uh, what's what. If not, then you get to ride home in a bus with all of your buddies and get hammered, and hopefully forget the loss by the time you get home. But you get to That'd do be it so safe. Much fun. So I'm putting the link up now, guys. If you if you want to go ahead and get tickets there, get tickets there. Get the rally bus. Get yourself up there safe and sound. Get yourself back safe and sound, and you don't have to worry about parking you don't have to worry about the traffic i don't like pittsburgh it probably smells so you don't have to deal with that um i'm just gonna talk shit on pittsburgh really um yeah there we go any steelers <laughs> fan had knew this coming in <laughs> i was gonna say they can't be surprised all right folks another thing for you this evening do you have any other questions on any nfl related news not just the baltimore ravens not just afc north more than welcome to asking us any NFL questions, folks. Please, please send those in. We love answering questions. I know we're a little bit over the time. We're up a minute. We're at an hour and uh, 25 minutes, but this one did go a little longer. We haven't talked last week. We got a little busy. Matt had surgery on his leg. Uh, he tore his ACL dunking in a dunk competition, obviously. Um, so hit us up with those questions. We love talking with you, you folks at home. We love involving you on the conversation. That's why we do this live and on Rabble.tv. Please and thank you. Also, once again, we do have that Patreon account. You're more than welcome to donating as little as a dollar a month, helping us out with the cost. So I don't got to use this laptop microphone anymore. I can actually get a mic stand and a real microphone and any other gear as such uh, HD video. Um, also, we'd love to be able to build in a call-in number so we can get this more towards you and you can call in, ask us your questions, tell us how much you love listening to the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. Sorry, Kyle Barber and Matthew Stevens. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you folks. I love doing this every single Thursday. I love calling the games on Sundays. You get to listen to us call the Baltimore Ravens games, Rabblecasting here at Rabble.tv. So please, please donate as little as a dollar a month, folks. We love every single dime you do give us. We're more than halfway there to our first official goal of $100. We're at $57 a month, I believe. So pitch in a dollar. We'd love to get something else going for you, folks. Now, we are moving on to Terrell Suggs' injury, in fact. He did tear his Achilles. This is the second time he has uh, torn the same Achilles. It's in his left foot, I believe. It's career. Uh, there's questions. It could be career threatening. We do have Dr. Bobby S. Brandt with us, not live right now, but he has wrote articles here for SB Nation's Baltimore Beatdown, working with Matt 
and I. It's great to have him around. He's a doctor of uh, physical therapy, I believe, yep. and a wonderful person to have on our team for the Baltimore Beatdown. Matt, can you read more about what he did right and talk with us about? Well, the first thing that people need to remember is that uh, a 2014 research study found that the Achilles tears treated surgically re-ruptured only 3.6% of the time. Holy cow. So he is in a crazy, crazy uh, low percentage to have it re-rupture a second time. Uh, a 2010 research article studied 31 Achilles tendons ruptures in NFL athletes between 1997 and 2002. And of these athletes, 64% returned to play in the NFL at an average of 11 months after injury. Uh, the remaining 36 never returned to play at an NFL level. Now keep in mind, Terrell Suggs was able to come back that same year. So he finished it up much quicker than 11 months. Uh, the big thing here is looking at guys who have re-ruptured their ACL and exactly what they were able to go ahead and do. Uh, you know, Dr. Bobby looked at it and saw uh, a pattern of players who suffered a torn Achilles between 2005 and 2013. They played linebacker, defensive end, or defensive tackle, and had been named to a, a pro bowler or had been starter for f at least five years. So he looked at that, and uh, eight players fit, uh, met those conditions. That's Takeo Spikes, LeVar Arrington, Greg Ellis, D'Amico Ryans, Brian Thomas, John Beeson, obviously Terrell Suggs, and Vince Wilfork. Those are the eight players that have suffered a torn ACL and played in those positions and were solid starters or a pro bowler. Wow. So it's pretty rare for it to happen in the first place. Um, you know... It's it's never a good thing to tell you tear your Achilles as we'll know, uh, but the findings show that on average prominent NFL defensive linemen linebackers uh, experience a 25.81 percent decrease in games played, a 38.20 decrease percent decrease in tackles, a 44.52 percent decrease in sacks and an 82.21% decrease in fumbles forced and recovered. Uh, of the players listed, only LeVar Arrington was unable to return to play in the league. Still, seemingly every player but Suggs has experienced a substantial drop-off in performance. So, he could only identify five other NFL players who have suffered two or more Achilles tears, and the uh, most have occurred recently so there was not really enough data to kind of evaluate what happened uh leon hall mm -hmm. d'angelo hall uh Donald, or ronald curry demarco ryan's anthony mccoy uh but dr bobby did mention that really if there's any guy who can successfully come back it's terrell suggs and he did so by coming back in shorter than 11 months and he came back by not really <laughs> having any noticeable drop off uh in, in his play uh, his rupture uh, back in 2012, he finished out uh, roughly, uh, he finished out a full 16 game season uh, in 2013 for a plus 2.3 percent. He had 12.10 uh, percent more tackles. He had 
more sacks by just under 20%. He was worse off by uh, uh, about 75% on forced fumbles and fumble recoveries, uh, going from four, a little over four to uh, one in 2013. So really, Suggs was able to go ahead and outperform himself the following season, and he was able to come back quicker. So really, if any guy can go ahead and do it a second time, it's going to be Terrell Suggs. So for those Ravens fans worried that uh, maybe this is the end of Terrell Suggs, don't worry too much about it. It's wonderful news to hear as clearly the team is missing a outside linebacker of such talent and skill this season as seeing the Raiders manhandle any attempts at a pass rush last week. Do we have any more questions? Have you seen anything else? I have not. I'm not seeing any. Uh, All right, well. Who do you think fills Terrell Suggs' shoes, though? Um, I see I see Jason Babin as the third down specialist, and I hope that uh, Zadarius Smith actually can take care of the left side. If not, I want Courtney Upshaw on the left, and I want Elvis Dumerville playing all three downs on that right side. I do. I want him to be able to, to be a three-down back. I know he's older. I know it's not the same. I know his run blocking isn't the best, but... I run stopping. Excuse me. I want I want Elvis Doomerville on the right side, all three side, all three downs. He can't handle left tackles. That's not his expertise. I want him on the right side, and I hope that we can figure it out. It's frustrating, man. It is so frustrating to see this defense finally in a true changing of the guard with no Haloti, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, or Terrell Suggs. Yeah, it's it's a scary thought to think of a, a team without those you know, defining players. But I I think like you had mentioned, Kyle, the Ravens are going to, just like they have been with the departure of Haloti Nana, they're going to use a combination of players to kind of fill that gap as best as they possibly can. And obviously, like you said, Babin is going to be your pass rush specialist. He's the guy that's going to be coming in and on those third downs or on one you want to go ahead and send, uh, send a lot of pressure his way. Mm -hmm. You're going to have the combination of Zadaria Smith and Courtney Upshaw and you know maybe a few others. Maybe try to go ahead and fill that gap from a run-stopping and edge-setting performance. Uh, hopefully they're able to go ahead and do that, and, and we don't notice as much of a loss from Terrell Suggs. Uh, and hopefully Terrell Suggs is still there kind of coaching guys up a little bit, even though he is injured. I understand that he flew out or stayed out with the Ravens uh, on their trip to the Raiders uh, so, you know, that's that's veteran leadership that hopefully the Ravens still have uh, and, and the NFL allows him to go ahead and be around, um, you know, on, on game days or even afterwards. I really hope it turns out for the best and we finally see some players step up, you know, because clearly last week we didn't. Yeah. Other than that, I don't see any more questions. So, folks, thank you very much for tuning in to the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Barber, and with me, as always, was Matt Stevens. Thank you so much for listening, and tune in next week, folks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast.
If you like what we do, please like and share us on SoundCloud, Rabble.tv, and iTunes. Also, check out our Patreon account to donate as little as a dollar toward the cause and get some cool perks. Join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern for yet another Baltimore Beatdown Podcast.